yeah. Don't cast the drive. You know I had to return the favor, right? Wait, wait for the draw. Once upon a time and without a warning came a super dope chick from California. Don't cast the drive, that's on every street, man. Hosted by V from the Seventh Street Band. Hey, don't cast the drive. Welcome back to Don't Cast and Drive, a series of interviews of talented folk near and definitely far. I am your host, Veronica Tyler Christie, aka Sometimes V. And here we are welcoming back the new Acoustic Collective. Jason, could you please introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Jason Kaiser, and I'm the uh, band leader and founder, and uh, sort of, I kind of run all the behind the scenes right now. and. Uh, had a lot of fun playing guitar and writing for the group, and um, yeah, glad to be here. Thanks, Veronica. Of course, yeah, welcome. It's good to see you, and I would love to hear from uh, everybody else to just introduce themselves, so let's go ahead and go with Nathaniel. Uh, yes, hello. Um, I am Nathaniel. I am the cellist of the group, and uh, sometimes composer, though very infrequently. Um, I do cello. I play bow. I play pizzicato. I provide a lot of feedback. I compose. I play. <laughs> I love it. You're a very concise man. <laughs> and uh, Rodrigo. Hi, my name is Rodrigo Ruiz. I'm the basis of the band. Uh, like Nathaniel, I, I do Argo and Pizzicato. Among other things, I don't compose yet. Um, and yeah, just, just really whatever's needed of me, I'll do it. No matter how impossible I can possibly pay them possible, I just gotta actually work on it. Um, but um, yeah, uh, I'm not sure what else to say other than I'm a classical bassist mostly. But yeah, no, that's wonderful. Uh, yeah, I know the awkward like, oh, who am I? Who am I? You know, it's it's that awkward like quick introduction thing. And Don't really I also think about it until the question comes up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so I want to welcome both uh, Thomas and Melissa here. Uh, they this is the first time that they've been here on this podcast. So I'm gonna go ahead and have Thomas introduce yourself. Hey, yeah, Thomas Castle here. Um, I guess I'm not an official member, but I was really stoked to be a guest on uh, the entirety of this new record. So yeah, reporting from Nashville, Tennessee right now. And Melissa. Hello, everyone. Um, well, I'm Melissa Garay. Um, again, I was, a, like Thomas, a special guest. Um, so we're not permanent, we're guests. <laughs> but it was a really awesome experience. Um, uh, a little bit about me, I'm providing uh, the vocals. Um, I did a little bit of of the uh, lyrical content um and then i also do arrange and compose as well but not particularly on this record but but on another one coming soon right jason <laughs> jason gave us the hand of approval <laughs> yeah there's already multiple things in the can man i'm ready let's do this <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a blessing when we're all musicians, we have the tools to compose. So, you know, Rodrigo, even though you're like, not yet, I'm sure soon. So don't don't feel left out. <laughs> yeah, I have ideas, I just gotta put them together. 100%. So the last time I've had uh, the new Acoustic Collective here, it you guys were releasing Buck Wild, your, your EP back in 2020. Is that correct, Jason? Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's really nice to kind of fast forward to the now that you already released another album in between that. And now you guys are working on your new project. You guys have been very busy. I also took note that you guys were also part of the IBMA and the world of bluegrass. And now you're, and, and so like you're, you're extending your reach beyond San Jose. So how has that experience been where it's like now from studio to now going from like international, like what's, what's that been like that for you? Well, it was, um, uh, but uh, Thomas and I, Thomas and I go back to studying at ETSU together, which is where we met in Johnson City, Tennessee. And um, IBMA was always, you know, a big thing that a lot of the cats and the players out there would go to. And uh, at least speaking from experience, personally, I always wanted to bring some group of mine out there. Um, and I remember just thinking, man, let's just throw our name in the hat and submit some music. And we had, you know, we had um, some tunes from Buck Wild, so we submitted it and uh, felt good about at least putting our name in. And um, we're glad to hear that they wanted us out there. And uh, I'd say one of the most challenging and uh, fun parts, but challenging, was driving out there. Uh, that was, it was like, man, <laughs> it was just a lot, a lot for everybody. Uh, a lot of time in the car. I'd like to lean in and just comment about the driving. Driving is not new to you. <laughs> the way I met you is like you doing a cross-country trip from I Tennessee did. to California. <laughs> and I had a gig. I think I had a gig that night or the next day. It was like, damn, this is, you know. But um, it was great. We had a really great time being out there. And that's, you know, Thomas, Thomas and I and the band reconnected there. And we had Thomas sit in on two of our sets and I, I mean anyone else can take it from there Rodrigo or Nathaniel if you guys have any kind of uh, how that was or what your guys' experience was with that feel free. Being in a car with four dudes ten hours a day adds up Yes Totally, yeah Rodrigo's smiling over there, what do you got to say? <laughs> well, no, it was just yeah, yeah, it was just a lot went down to that car but um, no, I, I was just gonna say like, yeah, the, the performances over there, like uh, with the band, and then when, especially when we included the Thomas, it was just like, it, it's really, it's really interesting and really nice to see like the um, the music like being appreciated over there because like over here it's a uh, it's a very different scene from what and we've talked about it quite a uh, quite a bit already like. It's a very like funk, R&B, soul kind of inspired scene, and sure we've had like um, instances where people like really appreciated the music because they are familiar with it. But like being in a completely different area where the music is more rooted in the in, there with the people, it's it, it's something quite different, you know. And even then, we were we were kind of standing out quite a lot um, because this the music is not. What, what a lot of people like are actually like used to listening to, yeah. um, you know, and so it's we we don't quite at least in in, in our opinion we don't quite know where we fit um, in like terms of like genre or stuff like that. Like we kind of have an ongoing thing where we just call ourselves world music in a way. Yes, I. I, I'd like to uh, add my third person opinion on that, like or comment on that, not opinion, but the way that you guys play bluegrass is what it's kind of generalized, but you guys do so much more. Like there's bossa nova, there's some like Latin flamenco like aspects in there. Um, you guys really found a way to fuse traditional jazz standards into this very nice adventurous like bluegrass music, which is a little bit 
different than my first impressions with bluegrass, but like, you know, it's, it's just really nice to hear because it gives you a sense of familiarity and honorization of other art forms. Um, so yeah, I definitely took note of that. Cause like you said, it's, it's world music. <laughs> it now, it now respects other, other forms of music by how you guys integrate it so seamlessly. Um, Thomas, did you have a comment? I see you lean in a little bit. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's kind of like that from the get-go, you know, bluegrass as a genre was just, and it's true for most genres of music, it was just a combination of, of things before it, and those things were combinations of things before those things. So it goes, it goes on and on, just like a big family tree or something. Um, but, you know, since like the 1970s, it's been this big movement to kind of combine that, that bluegrass format and energy with, with these other styles of music. So you're just using the model from bluegrass and kind of capturing the overall spirit of it, um, but, you know, through some kind of other lens. Yes, um, yes. Um, and, you know, with including like different forms of genres within this music, I also took note that you guys added a vocalist and that you had brass in there, you had a trumpet player in there as well. So like, it was just really awesome to see that you're going from like just strings to like, you know, broadening your reach, broadening the variety of like where this music can go. So. Um, go ahead, Jason. I was going to say it was wonderful. I mean, um, the IBMA and playing there kind of, at least for me, I was like, oh man, I want to try and include Thomas if I can, you know, such a busy guy and amazing player. And so it was wonderful to rekindle that there. And it was so great to have him out. But I remember thinking when putting together the music and thinking about what could be on the album. And I was just like, there were two tunes and I was just like, I need Melissa's voice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I need, I was, you know, like, I was just like, there's no, there's no way we can cut this instrumentally. And I just thought, you know, who better than Melissa Gray? So. <laughs> Thank Melissa, you. I felt Melissa like Gray. missed out fire with the uh, help is on the way, dear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I, mean, uh, well, I, I think what was really awesome was, um, I feel like this album was almost created before the pandemic. Not created, but like it began the 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 roots of it. Um, we did begin working on a project. What was it like two years ago now? Almost yeah. three years ago. Yeah, that's and, right. And um, it's kind of come full circle now to this moment. And and then you know and then some because we're going to continue to put more stuff out. But um, but yeah, it's it's been a really amazing experience getting to work with all these guys. Um, I feel really honored. Uh, to be in the uh, company of such great musicians, especially being a chick and being a singer. Because <laughs> I've all, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, we're, we kind of are like the odd ones out, you know, like being a, a girl and being a singer, it's, uh, you got a lot of things working against you. And um, I've definitely tried my entire uh, career to do the opposite of that, you know? Yes. Um, and so I feel, I feel like, you know, it's paying off. Thank goodness. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, I, I definitely can agree being in, sorry guys, but being in a boys club, <laughs> just being a little bit of a boys club. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> um, no, that's awesome. So with, for IMBMA, for those who are listening, can you guys actually tell me what that acronym means? Um, Jason? Yeah. So it's just the International Bluegrass Music Association. And, um, you know, they, they, uh, gosh, Thomas, you want to chime in, man? (laughs) 
Sure. Yeah. Um, I guess it, it dates back to, I think the uh, late 1980s is maybe when it formed and it's a, uh, just a nonprofit organization and their goal is to kind of just, you know, promote bluegrass and in every way possible to as many people as possible. Um, and they, you know, they, they are active 365 days a year, but their big thing is, um, the world of bluegrass convention in Raleigh every year, which is what, um, these folks all came over to and that's usually um, at the end of September every year in Raleigh, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. The, um, the convention is kind of like, in a lot of ways, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting being there because I mean, I could see that there were so many people there yet everyone knew each other in some way or fashion. Like we would be going through this giant room and Jason would be like, oh man, I love your new album. Like, nice to meet you. And like, to like every dude that we saw. And like, it was kind of funny um, in that regard. It was definitely kind of a fish out of water experience for myself as a primarily classical musician, but it's a very interesting, like, it was a very interesting experience networking and um, meeting professionals in the field and going around these different, like, these different booths and the, these different events to kind of talk with promoters, like record labels, like other musicians. There were all kinds of interesting people that they brought up. There were people from there were people that were like associated with universities, even from like other countries. There were um, it was just an entire hodgepodge of different musicians that were networking and um, you know learning to meet each other and in a lot of ways working with each other too. There were a lot of jam yeah. sessions and other small things like that going on around the building. It had a really nice energy to it, and it's definitely a different vibe than what I've gotten in the past. And Raleigh's a nice city too especially coming from the classical perspective um from nathaniel and i were we're more like referred by people we work with to other people uh in the same field and that's while, while networking around with like agencies and stuff like that it, it's difficult already like we have that in a different way too and so it's just kind of like interesting seeing like how different this whole different area of music is to even though everything's still similar um and yeah for i mean speaking for myself like i i never thought i'd be doing something like that uh, <laughs> um you know started so, off as a classical bass major now i'm doing bluegrass and <laughs> jazz um but yeah it's just it's just a very interesting like new experience that i've had that i've been really enjoying also, I was the only cellist in the building, so that was kind of <laughs> that was interesting to come to terms with. It was like this: uh, there was this instrument room in the convention center where you could just drop off your things, and you can hold them in there all day. And you know, I saw like a row of like six or seven basses, a good twenty banjos, like twenty-five guitars, and in the corner there, and like there's you no know, fifty fiddles. In the corner there was one cello. <laughs> You're definitely a, a man of your own. I love it. Yeah, uh, convention spaces are great like that, um, where you get to meet other like-minded folks who play the same genre or different genres. And it's great networking tool. And what I love about whether if it's um, festivals such as the one that you guys just returned from, and like, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard of like CMEA, that there's always yeah. going to be a, like an organic network of musicians that get together and just want to know who you are, whether it doesn't matter what level you are, they just love to talk to each other and just get to know each other just and benefit for everyone. Um, and so that's something that I really appreciate in those spaces. Um, 
Jason, I was curious. I, I, I saw you lean in a little bit, so I was just wondering if you had a, an additional thought on that. Oh, I was just, uh, I mean, I got a funny story. Um, I, oh, I'm we're here sure for it. Everyone, <laughs> I'm sure everyone remembers it, man. I, we were playing at the Poorhouse Music Hall in downtown Raleigh. I think it was our first showcase. And I don't think we had gotten past the first tune. I was soloing and I, you know, sometimes in my right hand attack, it can be kind of hard. And I admit that, you know, like sometimes it can be a little, you know, uh, like a, uh, what Nathaniel, what did the guy say? At the gray Eagle, a ham or like a hammerhead or like an axe. Got a jackhammer of a jackhammer. That's what yeah, it was. He's like, Jason, you got a jackhammer for a right hand, you know, <laughs> and he's totally right. And we, we, I was, I think I was soloing and I broke a string. It was like the first tune. Going a little hard, man. And I was just like, man. We had a pretty strict uh, time limit on our set. And we had like, we had everything planned out to the second. So after that happened, we were just like, well, shit, what do we do? (laughs) Yeah, we're like, all right. I'm still softball quite a bit. Just vamp, vamp. Just go to the vamp. Go to the vamp. Go to the vamp. vamp. Just play the first four bars over and over again until the guitar can get back. It worked out. It worked out okay. At some point, Thomas was like, "Jason, you want to change your string?" <laughs> so, you know, I was like, "Yeah, that's a good idea." Hold on, let me get off the stage. You're just it. giving chaotic or like energy. Like, I can still do it without it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like the I'm like the only guy. I, well, I don't know if I was, but I one of the only guys probably with an ovation. You know, and it's <laughs> you know, there's like two. You know, it's like some people could be like, man. Yeah, those '70s models—they're killer, man. Those—you got a good model. That's awesome. And then some were like, "What is that? Like a plastic guitar? Is that like a spaceship or something?" <laughs> you know, yeah, there were some people that were like, some people that really loved the guitar, and there were some people like, I remember when I was a child, those were the guitars we hated the most. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I remember the first time I ever saw an Ovation. I was like, "What the hell is this piece of crap?" But I think Ovation really changed my mind on that because that's one of the best Ovations I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can just tell all those, all those people that their favorite Tony Rice albums were recorded on an ovation. <laughs> exactly. I know. Exactly. It's like, man, Thomas. Yeah. I mean, all of Backwaters except one tune. Anyway, we're nerding the out. So- the song Manzanita. When we yes, were on the, exactly. When we were on the road, all kinds of interesting experiences happened as well. Rodrigo, we celebrated your birthday on the road. Remember that? <laughs> He's giving a look. That was fun. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. What did you guys do for his birthday? I mean, obviously he's here, so you didn't leave him stranded. <laughs> I mean, like, cake, alcohol, and like this Hello Kitty fucking birthday card. Where it's, it, it's uh, it was like a very like detailed Hello Kitty like shaped card, and you had to like open it in a very specific way to like read the messages stuff like that. No, no, and I think the Hello Kitty had a guitar. Didn't I pick that out, man? Oh yeah, true. <laughs> oh yeah, I have that laying around. In theme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was fun, and we stayed at a we stayed at a wonderful hotel in uh, <laughs> Memphis, Tennessee, <laughs> and that was. I'm being very better than the one on the way there. That's for sure. It was, so it, anyway, what? How? How did you guys have to prepare for for this road trip? Um, and to prepare for this performance, did you guys perform once, twice? How many rehearsals did it take? Was Melissa there? <laughs> Did you guys have to fly her in real quick and be like, now beat it? Like, <laughs> you need you on these two tunes specifically. I missed all the fun, unfortunately. 
Yeah, so Sorry, uh, Rodrigo. Um uh yeah, I usually I don't know, like I've there's different schools of thought regarding rehearsals and how many rehearsals uh, leading up to a gig or whatever. I've always kind of I've always kind of liked the idea of rehearsing weekly, not because I you know, necessarily don't think anyone will be able to hang, but because this music is so challenging, I want everyone to be so ready and comfortable that we could do anything at the drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's the comfort. um, Oh, sorry. um, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, it's okay. You you know, that's so it's, you know, and like if we're talking about like different schools of thought regarding that, you know, and I don't want to speak for him necessarily, but from what I've heard over the years, I've heard that David Grisman kind of ran his band in a way kind of like that, where they would rehearse a little more consistently because a lot of these arrangements and tunes, they can be kind of, you know, they're on the outside. They're not complex, but there's a lot going on that makes it what it is. Um, and then there's Tony Rice that would kind of like, all right, let's do up to the, show up to the studio and do it. You know, it was like a je- very, in a way, very Coltrane uh, approach where, you know, like Coltrane, I think he cut giant steps and I think he was, it was like a one take and he was like, yeah, that solo that you played Tommy Flanagan, that's going to be on the record, <laughs> you know? So, um, a lot of rehearsals leading up to it. Um, anyway, anyone else want to chime in about that? I want to note that like when we were doing IBMA, a lot of our plans were kind of derailed within the last two weeks due to personnel, um, due to personnel issues. And, uh, you know, Rodrigo had to take on the bass parts like two weeks before the performance, like with no prior notice, just like it's happening. You got to prep. Yeah, I was going to actually going to ask you about personnel, um, what what that is like. and I'm coming from a place with this question where we live in a world where things can change at the drop of the hat, right? Um, and, you know, also as us as musicians, we're not stuck with just like one group, like it is with like, you know, boy boy bands in the nineties, like you see NSYNC, it's just NSYNC, no one else, unless you become like the Justin Timberlake and then you leave and you become your own little butterfly alone. But uh, <laughs> that was a bad metaphor. <laughs> so that being said, yeah, it was part of multiple groups. But. Yeah, I, I like the approach where you're talking about weekly rehearsal. So things kind of come organically. I did work in a band very similar to that, a reggae band where they want to re- weekly rehearsal. So that way when we do the gig, especially if it's like one of those like last minute gigs, we're able to show up, be organic and just do the thing. So um, I, I mean, I do notice a personnel change from the last interview, but I mean, obviously I hope those guys are well. Um, but I was just wondering, like, what's, how do you, what's your, your take on it, Jason? Just curious. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, um, you know, like you said, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, life happens, you know, things change. Um, and I'm kind of, I, I try to take, I mean, as best I can, I try to take that positive approach, like anything else, you know, like one of the reasons that I got into music was just the the utter challenge of it all, you know, like, and it's, it's part of that challenge, at least for me, whether it's something I'm writing, something I'm trying to play, some idea I'm trying to communicate. It's part of that challenge that I love, you know? So with that personnel change, definitely challenging, you know, but uh, considering what we've done and just, you know, just uh, taking that challenge and kind of pivoting, you know, and considering, um, well, who, who do we know that, uh, 
plays their ass off, <laughs> you know, whether it's picking or singing or, you know, and then thinking about um, what could we, what can we do with that? You know what I mean? So it was, uh, yeah, um, definitely yeah. a challenge, but a good challenge, you know, nothing that uh, we couldn't handle. And, definitely uh, a mindset. Um, band leading is a mindset for real. <laughs> leading a project is definitely one of those things where you're like, okay, how do we pivot? We got to be quick, also efficient and making sure that we can get what we need done. So I totally get that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, so kind of stemming from that. Um, as you mentioned that you met Thomas mm-hmm. in Tennessee and you yeah. thought you went to school with each other. So how did that relationship build? Yeah, Thomas, why don't you go ahead? I'm talking a lot, man. <laughs> sure, yeah, no, no problem. Um, so yeah, I think Jason and I both start, we did both start at the same time uh, in 2016. Yeah. Um, audition the same day, uh, everything like that. And we wound up playing in a couple of bands together. There, uh, there was this interesting kind of class uh, that, that, started and only happened like twice and never happened again but we were we were there and it was this class of like 10 people where you kind of just every week you you know mixed in different duos trios things of that nature um and wrote music with with a purpose it was always like you know you're writing within some kind of construct like write something that doesn't have a melody you know or like i don't i don't remember them all too specifically, but it was just a real creative class. And we did that for a couple of semesters and just wound up playing uh, quite a bit together. Um, But then you had, um, I probably didn't see Jason from, what year did you graduate? Like uh, 18 or 19? Yeah, 2018, man, yeah. Yeah, so I I probably didn't see you from then until um, IBMA. I know. 21. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I I knew you guys were coming, like we had been in touch, um, and so kind of worked it out to you know just kind of show up and and play on some of the sets, um, mm-hmm. and that went well, I think. So we we just worked it out to um, play on the new record as well. Yeah, yeah. It. Um, I mean, to, uh, Thomas and I both studied with Wyatt Rice, and uh, you know, uh, I I think, and actually, I want to talk about this just a minute. Yeah. Because that's Me I think too. that's one of the reasons why everyone's here in, in this group and doing what we're doing and continuing to do like with Thomas, but with Nathaniel, with Melissa, with Rodrigo, like they all love to push boundaries. You know what I mean? They all love and, you know, have their have their musical interests and stuff, but they're all willing to kind of take that extra extra step forward to try and take risks you know, and, and do 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 different things and i think that's you know one of the reasons uh thomas and i connected so much i mean thomas listens to so much different music and we both love that space grass and dog music and this <laughs> kind of thing just sort of naturally it just i i think for both of us and i don't want to speak for you man but i you know it feels yeah, yeah, pretty you natural it. you know like it you know and i think for everybody here you know it's like we're willing to and want to try and um i don't know do something different you know like just make music because that's the thing i think it's tough it's tough to try and put a lot of this music into a box so why put it into a box you know oh yeah so i would love to ask a very um 
vulnerable question. So when you guys are like listening to all these different types of music and I would, and to be clear, I do want to go back to your guys' influence with Wyatt and Tony Rice. I just listened to, finished listening to an interview and like you really had a really interesting take about uh, Tennessee music versus like West Coast music. So I want to go back to that at some point. Um, but with thinking out of the box and um, kind of integrating all these different elements with your guys' music, bluegrass, spacegrass um, is a genre to me is led by like white folks. And so I love seeing the diversity here, even on this call of like, you know, it's much beyond that. Like you guys are able to expect, respect different genres of music and integrate that. And so how I'm phrasing the question is like, how are you, how did you come to a mindset to think beyond the bias of like, you know, just a blanket statement of bluegrass music and then incorporating all these different elements in as a white musician? Um, let's see, you know, it's, I think, I think the simplest answer I can, well, there's two things, you know, because it's like, at least for me, like when I'm composing, when I'm playing, when I'm channeling something from maybe a different genre that isn't obvious or isn't like um, it, when it's a tradition, perhaps that, you know, I don't necessarily uh, totally align with, you know what I mean? Like I, I, um, I don't know. I just connect with it. There's something about yeah. music just in general that like, God, when I hear like flamenco and they're doing these compas and they're doing all these amazing rhythms and then you hear the vocals come in it's like i think about the the essence of any genre of music and somehow trying to channel that i don't know this probably seems super vague you know no but no take know. your time it please <laughs> like it, it moves me to the point where it's like oh my god i just came up with a weird idea let's see if it'll work and as long as I feel like personally, as long as I can compose something and, and look at it after and say, I'm able to honor these traditions, right? You know, I'm not trying to say that I'm not trying to say that I know everything about, you know, flamenco music or bluegrass music or whatever. But if I'm able to honor these traditions, consider that and be careful with how I do that while still um, trying to communicate something that I want to communicate, then then uh, it works. May I say something? Yeah, of course. Um, one thing that I want to note about uh, Jason, I hope I don't speak for you, but I, I yeah. want to note that like you never really were encompassed in one thing. You always had experience incorporating different elements with each other. And you always kind of just, you always wanted to find new approaches and to incorporate new elements. So you were never really confined within one genre in the first place. You were always kind of caught between worlds. And with that, it's kind of only natural that you decided to lead this push towards incorporating other musical elements, non-Western musical elements and stuff like that. I mean, the best you can do like as a white musician is to try to respect what's happening and to just try to like let the, like try to respect the voices that they are yes. and try not to speak over them. And I feel like yeah. Jason, even though you're incorporating these new elements, it never feels like you're speaking over it. And that's one thing I, I like about your approach in doing stuff like this. I mean, it's only natural when you're kind of taking like, you know, as a white dude taking things from other people, it's it's very natural that this kind of like, when you think white dude taking things from other people, you know, 
the colonizer flags in your head just go off like so it's it's a tricky line to cross but i feel like what uh what makes it work the way jason is doing it and the way that the, the thing that makes it make sense and the, the last respect is um there are two things first of all being able to do it with the with the respect and genuine love of the of the material that it's coming from and not just love but understanding jason has listened to an absolute shit ton of this music and like I mean, you've met musicians in that field. Like you've talked to you've talked to people. You've listened to that music. You've you've done all of that in the process. And you know, the second element is like this wasn't something that was ever like actively like this. This wasn't something that was ever actively like mentioned and stuff like that. But you know, when we when we talk about like representation, like in this album, like a little bit different than the previous album. This album is not entirely consisted of white dudes, right? You know, there's there's some variation in that regard. Yeah, no, 100%. And I was coming from a place like, you know, if my question came off in a sense where if you need to educate me on something, I'm here for it. <laughs> so no, I really appreciate your taking it, Daniel. That was, that was, that was very well put. Um, because yeah, like music is, is definitely a form where it doesn't like how you listen to it and how you're moved by it and how you kind of input, put it into your own music. It's, it's, it's influential, right? Like you're going to listen to a song, like, let's say like Aretha Franklin, it's going to make you move. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you feel moved by it. And then maybe some of those elements yourself as a composer, like maybe I can add that in there because I felt so moved by it. And so ingrained in my soul that I get to put it on paper and put it in my own music. So no, it's, it's, it's really cool to hear that. Cause yeah, what I, you sent me uh, a single that you guys are going to release pretty soon, Black Orpheus with Melissa singing on it. And girl was not singing in English. <laughs> so it was beautiful. Um, and Black Orpheus has always been one of those songs where it's been beautiful. Like you kind of feel a little fancy and you need to pour yourself some Chardonnay. Oh yeah. <laughs> some rosé. Exactly. A little bit of rosé, like some candles. <laughs> um, but no, it was absolutely beautiful. Like it was a very beautiful approach. And thank you for like, First, Jason, thank you for giving me the sound file so I can listen to it. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and Melissa, I actually, I'm curious to hear your take on it as well. On Black Orpheus? Yeah. Yes. And, and um, cultural music in general. Yeah. yeah um, well, for me, it's uh, this has always felt like a very organic process. Like, it just has never felt forced. It's like we've this is weird, you know, like how just things are destined to happen. We, Jason was destined to meet Thomas and Rodrigo and Nathaniel were working together. And then me and Jason ended up in grad school together. And yeah. <laughs> it's just weird how it all evolved. And I just think that we all genuinely have a love and a curiosity for music. And I think that, I don't know if I can speak for them all, but I can speak for myself. Um, I, I knew that I could dedicate my life to, to music, to studying it, but that I'm never going to learn everything about it. As soon as I think I learned one, you know, master a genre, boom, you know, like it just, something else comes along that just makes me start, start right over. <laughs> so um, I think that, um, yeah, that it's just, it's just, it's felt like an organic process that like we can all be ourselves and, and contribute in that way with our own unique personalities and different cultural backgrounds and and whatnot um but as far as black orpheus um that song um is very special to me uh primarily because i grew up singing a lot of 
uh, jazz um, and boleros um, in my grandma's kitchen. And that was one of them. Que paz descanse, because she's no longer with us. So may she rest in peace. But um, it was, um, it definitely comes from a, a, a warm, sentimental place. <laughs> no, I love it. It was beautiful and very smooth. And, you know, I, I'm glad to hear that came from a place in your heart. Because sometimes I, can, I can't tell when, with singers. <laughs> Right. If it's like they're just doing acrobatics or like, is it because you really mean it? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I do have a story where I was in a big band in high school and the, she, this w- woman like sung this beautiful version of blues that like breathtaking. And of course, when you're, you're in, you're in high school, you're super impressionable, right? You're like, right. Wow. And then I, when I went up to go compliment her, I was like, that was the best one. And she goes, oh, I freaking hate that song. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what do you mean? She's like, I just, I want to sing something else. I cannot stand it. I'm like, but you did so well. She's like, well, yeah. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Sometimes (laughs) one of my professors used to say inside every great vocalist is a great actress. So (laughs) there you go. (laughs) it's like you can never tell <laughs> you can't no you definitely can't can't that's that's very true <laughs> Melissa you wrote um you wrote the lyrics uh for Pequeña Ave right in yes. English and Spanish yes it's um well first of all it's absolutely gorgeous Thank and you. uh second of all one thing I noticed about like uh vocals compared to instrumentalists in this context is that I mean instrumentalists think one way and vocalists think a different way and I really appreciate how your approach has influenced this album because I feel like it comes from a place at least my impressions of it like it feels like it comes from a place of like genuine care and like feeling that uh and when it comes through the lyrics like it feels like it kind of is push it's kind of pushing the emotions more directly than us as instrumentalists do I mean we all think I mean all of us um all of us do music because we want to do it all of us do music because we absolutely love it but I find it interesting how different the approaches are and it was really cool like collaborating partly because of that combination of different approaches the way an instrumentalist takes a solo the way all of that is kind of conceptualized and felt versus when you were writing these uh when you were writing the lyrics and when you you know when you came from that uh sorry i'm petting my cat it's my hand it's okay (laughs) uh, you know when you um when you came to this approach like through pequeña ave like is it weird if i ask a question no, oh, no this is, yeah, this like, is your guys' space. I also want to make clear, you guys are more than welcome to lean in whenever you guys feel like it. You I know it's weird. <laughs> Melissa, how you, Melissa, how did you come up with Pequeña Ave and what were your inspirations towards the lyrics behind that? Because that's actually been, a, that's been something I've been curious about myself. Um, I always, for one, I this is weird, okay? This is one of my little secrets. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that I have to really be ready to like, like, write down my first initial reaction, you know, either record it or whatever, right? But like, I have to be able to get that initial reaction first, usually it's my best one. Um, but I mean, overall, I try to really listen to what the song is saying. And, and like, I don't know, somewhere in there, I feel like I can feel it, the emotion. Um, and and then it just starts to paint like a movie in my mind of, of what's happening. And, and yeah, and then, and then, you know, I think um, 
how can I say this? Hmm. I'm not the most romantic person. <laughs> I crack a lot of jokes and stuff like that. So like for me to be like really serious, like ooh la la, right? <laughs> and get it all, you know, all poetic and Shakespearean. It can be corny, I got you. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it's like, hmm, like I, I it's kind of it's like my escape where I can kind of be like the cool poetic singer Tupac. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you're like girl you did not just go there I'm gonna give you a little bit of poetic justice there that's fair <laughs> yeah and it's it's interesting Nathaniel to kind of not to speak for Melissa but just to say the tune started instrumentally you know what I mean like I looked at the tune as a way to try and potentially communicate some of Joe Beam Antonio Carlos Joe Beam who if anyone's listening and you haven't checked him out, man, <laughs> you got to check yeah. out. <laughs> but anyway, um, there was a tune, the girl from Ipanema and I was like looking at the chord changes and I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of nerdy in this way, man. I can like look at chord changes and be like, dude, like if I like just come and tune this one note and then like, I just started to get super nerd. Yeah, there you go. So, um, so I started to think about how like, I could take some ideas from the girl from Ipanema, but kind of move it all to minor, you know? So it started, I think it started with a chord progression, which uh, kind of a lot of my tunes do. But the melody, I remember writing it, and I was just like, oh my God, I need to send this to Melissa. And that's usually how we work, you know? I mean, mo most of the time I send her something, and I'm like, just do your magic. Just do it. Do what you do. <laughs> you know? And she came you, up with, she was like, oh. Named the sorry. oh, sorry, go ahead. I was I was I was gonna note that the way you named the tune was just like there happened to be an annoying little bird in your room at the time of writing it and you're like, eh, pequeña ave. And that's yeah. the thought that went into it. That's yeah. how that's what stuck. It was like <laughs> this, this little bird, her name was Bean, and she was my uh twin sister's bird and uh she unfortunately she passed a few months ago. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. The bird, not the sister. But my <laughs> oh, the bird. <laughs> the little bird. <laughs> Uh, the little bird, she, uh, my family's dog, Louie, he totally just trashed, just, it just chomped on her, man. And that was it. But we dark, got that tune very quick. Before. We got that tune written before she passed way. and that little tune and, and, uh, you know, although it conveys different things still, you know, I mean, when I was writing the piece, she was so irritating and annoying and I was just like, dude, I just need to try and write something uh, anyway. So I don't know if that answers. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to like note how interesting that juxtaposition is. Like between the way, like, um, I mean, I guess that's what makes a group like this work, right? When you have like this many different perspectives, like allow, like when you have this many per kind of different perspectives, like in dialogue with each other, it kind of gives you the best of all worlds. Yeah. Well, not all worlds, but at least like five worlds. Our world, our, our crazy world. world. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Yeah, and I loved, you know, like, you guys haven't heard it yet, listeners, but <laughs> I love how <laughs> Rodrigo and Thomas interpreted the melody, and, you know, it's like when you hear, uh, and Veronica, you'll love it, you know, I mean, it's just beautiful how they how they captured the melody, but then you hear Melissa singing the melody, and, and then everything behind it, man, it's just, like, beautiful, you know, so... But there was one thing I wanted to answer a question about Black Orpheus really quick. Yes, uh, please. 
uh, yeah, so Melissa and, Melissa Rodrigo and I had got together. When was this, guys? Was this 2019? It was like the the winter almost of 2019. Long time ago, yes. Yeah. Because we and, released Amor Prohibido yes. 2020, February 14, 2020. Yeah, Melissa, why don't you plug, plug that while you're on that topic real quick? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just sh- shameless plug, Amor Prohibido. Oh, shameless plug, you guys. <laughs> You guys can get a preview of uh, a little bit of what 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 started kind of this right, um, Amor Prohibido, which was a a hit cumbia song by Selena Quintanilla, but was totally reworked as like what I really felt was like like a Latin version of uh, oh my God, what's that song um, by Fleetwood Mac? Oh, uh, landslide. Landslide. I felt like it just had that like by like mtv unplugged mm-hmm. um and me and jason actually accidentally like stumbled in on it on iReal at a gig and that's how it kind of set off i was like oh my god i love the way you played you yeah. know those chord changes it was not a cumbia at all and like we must record this and we did and it's such a beautiful one of my favorite songs to sing um so you guys should definitely check it out on any digital platform it's available Make us it's rich. out there. It's okay, out there. I'll make us rich. Definitely <laughs> check that out. You said Selena, and I'm like, I'm here for it. Oh, I love gosh. Her. Veronica, I love have her. you heard? Have you heard <laughs> Melissa sing that in that recording? Not yet. No. Oh man, you got it. Yeah, that man and Rodrigo's bass and the acoustic. It, it worked really well. And Black Orpheus was one of the tunes that we had done as a demo in that. Oh, you guys are talking about Black Orpheus. I did this, listen yeah, to. This... Oh no, uh, uh, Amor Prohibido. Oh, that one? No, I have not heard. Yeah, yeah. It's, Black it's Orpheus, I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, to give you some context, Black Orpheus was in that same uh, demo list, basically. Um, and it was a kind of an arrangement. I mean, I've listened to many different versions of the tune, and the, God, there's so many beautiful renditions, you know. Um, but one that I always kind of went back to, for some reason, you know, I loved uh, the David Grisman Quintet's version. From their record, it's called Dog and Nova. Um, and You're so consistent with the names. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just my gosh, man! It like it starts off with Enrique Coria um, playing this beautiful, just almost rubato guitar intro, and I remember listening to that, just listening back to that intro over and over, and being like, "Oh my god, that is so good! How do I like?" do that but in my own way you know because i'm not enrique you know so i started to build like this kind of intro thinking of their rendition and then man when we had the opportunity to bring thomas and i was like god we got to give thomas a solo like we got to add a little bit of the you know a little bit of that bluegrass element and the mandolin and um thomas why don't you talk about that arrangement a little bit and how you felt about playing over it you know yeah i think um, all of these tunes really, um, it was a very different, um, kind of just vibe and, and, uh, what would the word be? Um, kind of a very different texture, I guess, for me to, to play over. Like I'm, I'm normally used to, to, you know, playing over a real steady kind of full beat where I just kind of float on top of everything. And that's, that's like the mandolin's general role and and pretty much everything I'm doing but on these tunes and especially some of the slower ones the vocal ones in particular I got to kind of 
lean back a bit. And with the vocal songs, it's like I, you know, I, I try to make it less about me. Um, I mean, you should, you know, you should never make it about you anyway, but, you know, in, in like some blazing tune, like, um, uh, what, what's the name of the one you wrote, Jason? Um, uh, um, um, Brasal? Yeah. That tune yeah, like that totally kicks my ass and it's just, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just flying. So yeah, you're, you know, you're doing some kind of crazy stuff, but you know, on something like, um, you know, Picanha or um, Black Orpheus, it's, it's nice to just really lean back and, and a try to support um, what Melissa's doing or has done or is about to do, you know, um, and kind of either build on that or build up to it. Um, but also B just kind of maintain the, the vibe of what she's putting out because I don't want to like have her finish, you know, what she's, what she's doing and like, you know, sing this beautiful kind of verse chorus thing and then just, I'm just going to shred over this and play like everybody look at me, you know? So I, I really think it's important just to try to like really dial into um, kind of what, what she's putting out there and and capture some of that in my playing, which yes. I know that's a very vague concept, but lay down a G run, brother. <laughs> We're also experienced okay, musicians where we have to make sure we cater the sound to the vocalists. Otherwise we sound wrong. <laughs> no, but it's that's true. It. Like, she's yeah. the leader like if when she starts singing she's the leader um which is absolutely true in a lot of ensemble spaces one thing that i've noticed about like vocalist versus not versus but vocalist and instrumentalist is that like oftentimes like in vocal lessons they'll be like try to make it sound like a flute sing like a viola and like uh, <laughs> you know there's someone i know that does uh that does uh <laughs> that uh did like a vocal piece on viola and they were like i could hear you sing through your viola and then the singers were like, sing like you're playing a viola. And the instrumentalists are always like, play like you're singing. It's always, it's, there's always that, it's kind of the grass is greener on the other side type thing. You're just like, you're always wonderful. trying to impersonate each other. Yeah, it's a wonderful concept. Like it's, it's, it's empathetic about tone, texture, how to lead, how to be, how to be support. Um, no, I, I've always loved hearing that being a trombone player, like when they're like, play like you play, like you're singing that has dramatically changed my playing. When someone told me that it's like, instead of honking around like an imbecile, like it actually, I can actually sound beautiful and sound There's like the voice of God. Play. It's kind of, it's kind of the worst with strings, because even if you're playing like a woodwind or brass or something, you at least still have to breathe. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I could just play straight 16th notes for like a minute and be fine. Yeah. Um, no circular and, breathing for you. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that sounds great, but like, you know, you also have to ask yourself like, Oh, if I was singing this, like, where would I stop? <laughs> you know? I, was, um, I was learning how to improvise. Like one of my big, or like, I'm still learning. First of all, I've not gotten it yet, but like one hurdle that I go through sometimes is people always say like, leave some space. Cause you know, on a cello, same as, uh, same as the other strings, I can just like, I can lay down melodic lines and shit like that all day. And then like, but they somehow come across as a little bit too unnatural, just like a little bit unnatural because there's no space in between them. It's like, it's, it's like that guy that you know that just never stops talking and never gets, a, you never get a break. They're just like me constantly speak. Me. Yeah. Me. Me. You. Me. 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 Yeah. Me. Me. You. All right. Speaking of speaking, um, I'm going to take the space. <laughs> 
So I actually want to go into it. This is a little while ago. It was a great transition to talk about like how you guys have kind of fused, like, you know, your influences from different genres going into, you know, your single that you guys have, which is Dog's Cha-Cha. And um, I see that it's featuring Jim Kerwin, who's not here tonight. Um, and also it looks like Thomas is a feature. Wow. No, I'm just joking. Right. No, it's great. Yeah. No, it's wonderful. And then I, I did hear uh, Jacob Jackman on trumpet on there as well. Um, he's a he's a trumpet hero in Seventh Street Big Band. So <laughs> I, I I know and also the pictures that you guys have taken, I've seen him. Um, yeah. But yeah, like it was wonderful because like now you're getting all these different influences. And like, this is kind of like one of the products of like your, your single just showing like, hey, this is our influences. This is how we can expand with using like brass and, you know, other elements. And then here's, here's this feature. So like, how did, you know, why did you choose this track to be the feature of your, of your album coming out? Um, I, you know, it's at least uh, speaking personally, I mean, um, dog music and the music of David Grisman had a big impact on me when I was studying, uh, studying, you know, bluegrass and spacecrafts and stuff with Wyatt Rice and at East Tennessee state. But I feel like that was just the beginning because like, as I spent years and years and years and years afterwards, still listening to the music and listening to David Grisman's catalog, dog music just continued to speak to me. It, it didn't matter. It, it, what was always inspir inspiring for me was like no matter what combination of instruments he had, not only did he make it work, but man, you could still hear like the essence of what he was going for and what he what he did and what he does. And like the in a lot of ways, I think the um, the theme, the theme of this record or the inspiration, I think in a lot of ways, at least for me, was honestly like out of his catalog, there's a record that I brought up earlier called Dogganova. And I was just, I remember I've listened to it so many times and I'm like, man, they do bossa nova. They do cha-cha. They do blah. They, you know, and I was just like, dude, how cool would it be not to do what they did? You know what I mean? But in our own way with our own, um, influences and stuff, but still kind of an ode, like an honor and, and to try and channel some of that, um, and I think that Dog's Cha-Cha, the, the million of iteration of titles that we've changed. Rodrigo, actually, real quick, can you talk about the fact that that <laughs> tune's title has changed like three times? Yeah, like at first we were doing a Dog's Bossa, and then Jason tells me like, yeah, Jim, Jim doesn't think it's a Bossa. He said it's a tango, and I was like... Oh, okay. It's not, not quite a tango, but I can't really think of what, what exactly it is. And then uh, one day, like, I'm just in the middle of work and I'm just like, uh, I'm doing some things, uh, some some uh, heavy lifting in there. And I don't know where, like, in my mind, like, I've been thinking about this this whole time. And I'm just like, wait a fucking minute. This ain't a fucking, this ain't a fucking tango. This is a fucking chakra. <laughs> you know, it's like the one genre that i only played like once or twice a long time ago and i just like right away i just dropped everything i'm just like jason i fucking found it <laughs> the fucking chach and not a fucking tango <laughs> yeah and then we spent, um, we made like a chat and then thomas was like dogs g run <laughs> but anyway you know it, it's got that it's just got that vibe to it and it's uh that tune i don't know can you guys hear the guitar at all oh clear as day yeah so the, the chord changes, if anyone's listening and a fan of dog music, 
right? Like, at least for me, I, I'm always trying to honor what other people have done, you know? So it's like I took, but this is a jazz approach. I basically just wrote a contrafact, which is just taking borrowing, let's just put borrowing in quotations, some chord changes, and putting a new melody over the top, you know? And the thing is, there's a tune that everyone in the, in bluegrass circles plays, it's called EMD, you know, it's okay. one of the more popular okay. tunes that's called on jams and stuff. And uh, it's got this killer, it's just like it's burning, but underneath the burn is just this blues, you know. You know, it's like this killer line. So I was like, okay, can I try and bring in that blues element and take the chord changes from the tune and put it in a different style? And it's just, you know. And then adding a little bit of jazz, a little more extended harmony. Anyway, you know, that was, yeah. so I was kind of coming from that angle of things. And anyways, long story short, I think it's a really nice introduction that features two wonderful, amazing musicians we're honored to be able to work with and call friends. And I think it's a great kind of preview for what else is to come. So. Yeah, no, I thought it was a wonderful uh, tune listening to it. Again, thank you for giving me the audio files. Of course. <laughs> There's a theme. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, yeah, and when you're bringing up Dog's Cha-Cha, I'm assuming this is obviously back to reference to David Grisman, who you've mentioned before in another episode of this podcast. And so... Um, so I like seeing that there is the continued influence from what I feel like are the fathers of bluegrass, right? Is that fair to say? <laughs> okay. I got a lot of head nodding. That's good. Okay. <laughs> if I'm wrong, please tell me I'm here to learn. Yeah, I, I'd say like, you know, and, and Thomas, I would love to hear your thoughts too, but yeah, I mean like David Grisman in the, in the way back when, you know, in the early sixties and stuff was playing with. Delma Curry and playing pretty traditional stuff, but was continued starting to write music that couldn't quite be categorized and was listening to gypsy jazz and all these other things and just started to, um, started to branch out and he created a whole amazing genre that is, you know, it's just like, you know, if dog music didn't exist, I don't know what I would be doing. Things like not necessarily Personally. the father of bluegrass, but yeah. he did go into like new acoustic music, and that's like more of the, that's more of that forte. Like a big reason of that inspiration isn't from the traditional side; it's more so from innovation and the changes that were leaded from it. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I I don't think it's right calling him the father of bluegrass, but father of new acoustic music might be a okay. somewhat accurate way of describing it. Though yeah, there I would say even between our members over what to call this type of music. Yeah, I mean, he's he created his own music, and it's called dog music. You know, I mean, and to be able to work with um, Jim Jim Kerwin, who's just at a prolific bassist, and you know, it's funny. Like a few years ago, it was. And this is how Jim and I met, and I'm, I kind of do this. I've been doing this with, like, everyone that I've wanted to study or work with or learn from in many ways. And I'm so grateful to meet you all through schools and different things like that. But for everybody else, I kind of just cold email them. And I, like, anybody and everybody just to learn from them, you know, and just to, like, 
try and learn a few things and hear about their experiences. And I had uh, heard that, you know, and, and knew that I think Jim was living in the Bay. And I was back on uh, break from East Tennessee State. And I just emailed him. I was like, hey, man, I will literally just pay you. I just want to hang out and learn some of this music and talk. You know, and that's how we met. We met in 2017, and it's an honor to be able to work with Grisman's bass player and that's someone awesome. who worked with Jerry Garcia. And gosh, and he's an amazing jazz player. You guys should hear his stuff. Like, right after the recording session that we all did, I went and saw, I think it was a quartet or quintet, and he was playing bass in San Francisco, and he was just <laughs> amazing, you know. So uh, anyone who's listening who hasn't heard Jim Kerwin, man, you guys got to check out Jim. Anything he does, whether it's with David Grisman, George Marsh, jazz, Latin, it's just uh, amazing. So We got homework to do. That's what we got to do today. <laughs> no, I love that. And then I'm curious, since you guys are so, in, well, Thomas and Jason especially, have you guys ever met Wyatt or Tony Rice at all? Or like, what's your experience with them? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I never got to meet um, Tony. I saw him live once uh, when I was a kid. Um, and I, I kind of at that time knew that I was seeing something important, you know, but I don't remember it very well. Um, and then uh, he, you know, Tony probably hasn't, he hasn't really played out in the last 10 years before his, his death in uh, 2020, mm-hmm. um, or at least, you know, maybe, maybe seven, eight years. Um, but uh, as far as Wyatt, we've both spent a bunch of time with Wyatt, um, either at, at uh, in college or at his house drinking coffee and just hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's Lincoln Town Car. Yeah, it's Lincoln Town Car. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we've had, I mean, it's amazing, you know, to be able to, to be able to study with someone that has been part of that music and, and, and been playing and played with Tony for so long, you know, I mean, and even if you listen really closely to their guitar playing, you can still, if you really know it, you can hear the difference between the two of them, you know, it's like they still have a voice of their own, and why it's an amazing composer, and we we had a blast putting together uh, a tune of his that he had taught, t- uh, Thomas, did he teach you Damascus as well? Did you guys? Yeah. 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 Yeah, he had taught me it, and I could never learn the melody because it was just insane. <laughs> I was just like, dude, I can never learn this thing. It's so hard. And a few, what was it, a few months ago, I was asking why. I said, hey, man, how'd you, how did you write Damascus? And he was like, oh, I was listening to a recording that Tony and John Carlini did of uh, Norwegian Wood by the Beatles. They did a duo thing and they went into this cool improvisation that went over this like I don't know if it was Phrygian or some sort of cool some cool thing and then he started to put together a melody based on that and it's just amazing like the melody the like you can hear like for me personally I hear a little bit of flamenco you know what I mean? You hear a little bit of that stuff, and then you hear like the bluegrass virtuosity. So um, that was great. I had a great time putting that together, and uh, I'm talking a lot. Oh no, you're great. No, <laughs> you're you're doing um, great. Yeah. So sending sending all the blessings to the Rice family, you know, and hoping they're doing well. So. Yeah, yeah, I can tell they're that 
the Rice family, as well as uh, David Grisman, they're huge, huge influence on your guys' music. But I really absolutely love the fact that you also created it to make it your own. So kudos to you guys. Um, my last question, um, and hopefully I don't want to take too much more of your time because I know it's pretty late there in Tennessee, especially for Thomas. <laughs> We're all good. <laughs> <laughs> Try to be mindful here. I don't know, Melissa, if you're in California or not, but I hope it's not too late over there as well. <laughs> okay. Um, so my last big question, and then we'll go into closings and talk about the logistics of when the album comes out and all the next steps. So I think what I love about being a current day musician is that we all have this wonderful independence of to not really rely on a manager or a label or a booking agent. Like luckily social media has taken a little bit of a lift. I won't say 100%, but a little bit of a lift on making sure that we have the tools to kind of do it ourselves. So from your guys' takes, how has it been to kind of stay molded together um, with getting all these projects out without having like somebody to do in the back end? Because from, from my understanding, I understand that, you know, Jason is the head honcho here. So he's probably the one like doing all the scheduling rehearsals and whatnot. So like, how are you guys able to get it together um, each and every time without having that type of assistance? Do you guys mind if I go first? <laughs> Please do. <laughs> um, I was just going to say, you know, it's um, for me, I just, I, you know, I try to, I try to always like um, keep going, you know, like always finish what I start. You know what I mean? And it's like, I don't know this DIY thing. It's, I'm, it's a. Uh, really great in a lot of ways but it's challenging too you know you do all the booking you do all the all the i mean i i love doing the writing and all that kind of stuff sometimes i wish i could focus more on the music side of things you know and when i'm teaching you know i teach 45 students a week on top of this so sometimes it seems like i'm working 60 70 hours a week between everything you know but um man this music like for me this music just uh resonates into my soul you know so i do whatever i can and uh, to be able to make music with all you guys, you know, Rodrigo, Nathaniel, Thomas, Melissa, and everyone that's worked with us so far and everyone that's potentially listening, we hope to work with you, whoever you are, you know, <laughs> but it's, um, it's definitely, it's definitely challenging and tiring, you know, I mean, it's, uh, but, you know, I mean, gosh, to be able to make this music, to be able to say these things. It's really hard to put into words, you know, so I just um, continue trying to uh, do it and everyone helps me out. They put up with all my nonsense. Rodrigo and Rodrigo and Nathaniel are amazing, man. We have been through so much together and I'm so blessed and, um, you know, it, it's really hard for me to put into words how much I love and care about these guys as well as Thomas and Melissa, of course, you know, but, you know, Rodrigo and Nathaniel have... <laughs> They've been through a lot with me and seen me see me in very good times and see me on the other end and, um, you know, are just amazing. You know, they take all my ideas and, and give me good feedback and we work together and things have changed over the years where I'm trying different approaches as a band leader, you know, and challenging myself to 
try to approach things differently and they're always there to uh be amazing and i don't know what i'm saying guys it's you know <laughs> anyway you're doing, you're doing great i realized that my question came off a little like cluttered so thank you for answering i appreciate it <laughs> um yeah nathaniel and uh rodrigo what are your takes on staying with a band while like kind of juggling your work-life balance outside of it um it's it's hard because there's a lot of things to focus on in the band, especially when it comes to like actually um, getting together rehearsal time. So like in the past, it's, we've always only had like one day and it still is that one day where we can only meet up on that one day. And so if like one of us has to bail out, I mean, we haven't had to do that in a while, uh, but we'll, if one of us has to bail out, then we're just like, well, crap, that goes, um, there goes the whole rehearsal day, you know? Um, then on top of that, like, at least personally for me, um, like I'm working three, four jobs at a time. And so, and it's just like a lot of different things. So I like my usual, like regular day jobs working at a, at a, an aquarium store. And then, uh, but I'm also on, beside that, I'm also um, an operations manager for a music program. And I'm also a house manager for theater. And so being able to just uh, like make all these things work together uh, can be a challenge sometimes, but like, because the one thing that really makes me like really prioritize this group on top of all the other things is that I really enjoy this. You know, I really enjoyed the the vibe that I have with these amazing musicians. I really enjoyed the product that we cut, that we released from this, and it's just, yeah, really, it just comes down like who wouldn't want to play amazing music with their closest friends you know yeah um and then just like another comment like um uh, it just made me think like the reason why jason has probably stayed sane this long is because uh, i was living with him for a while so like i think at some point like he probably just wanted me to move in so i can keep him sane for a bit <laughs> Rodrigo, you're try not to cover your microphone. Oh, okay. lost you. Yeah. Uh, try try well, again. Yeah, I was, I was just saying, like, um, and, and, like especially everything leading up to the audio. Rodrigo, your audio I, is. Lo siento. Yeah. Happens, yeah, your your audio is all bad, man. Uh. Oh, that's you better. Sound like Darth Vader, Bato. We're almost there. Don't worry, I can edit. <laughs> um, am I coming out clearer, better? Yeah, yeah, you're good, man. Okay. You're all better. clear. Okay, I'm probably talking a bit too softly. Um, but um, yeah, like uh, I, I was saying, like uh, especially like everything leading up to the IBMA tour, everything was very, it was very tense. There was a lot to do, and it was like a lot of like, we need to have this happen on a certain date um otherwise a lot of things just get pushed back and that that sort of thing and so it's just a lot of like checking in with each other always trying to see what we could do um and just pushing 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 um then literally like a lot of times I, like i'll just tell jason like what do you want me to do because clearly you're you're on your way out right now um, yeah you know and so like and like this is this is a bit out of my area, so I'm happy just just take on responsibility, um, no matter what it is. Now, as long as my friends don't go insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like, 
IBMA requires a huge amount of sacrifice from everyone that went. Like, um, okay, I know you're low, by the way. Sorry, uh, IBMA required a, a huge amount of sacrifice from everyone who did go. Like, you know, like everyone that went, like, I mean, I took two weeks off of school. Like, I know Rodrigo, like, he took off work, and if you don't mind me saying, he basically got fired because of the because of the tour. Oh, I got fired because of something else, but like, I'm glad I'm out of that place. So it, it was a very toxic place. So I'm glad I'm out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Jason was like working like 11 hour days for the past, like three months. Like one person can't work that hard for that long. And, you know, yeah. you were, you were driving 10 hours a day in this like Chrysler minivan, you know, like, and, um, the fiddler that uh, came with us as well, David, he took a lot of time off of his work and stuff. Like we all had to take we all have to make a large amount of sacrifice in order to get that stuff to work. And you kind of have to like, you have to kind of try to put, I think when working in something like this, you kind of have to try to put in more than you take out at almost, or I don't know if that's the right word. Cause like I'm taking out more than I like, anyway, um, you kind of have to like really try to put your all and try to like do the best you can and, you know, don't be a dick show up on time, you know, just like the basic professionalism stuff, but also <laughs> like, yeah, you kind of have to like, try to be present, be mindful. Like, I mean, I'm currently in my studies. I, I don't work as many jobs as the other folks here do. Um, I think I currently like, I currently do a few part-time things. I do some part-time gigs and stuff like that, but most of my time is spent in my studies. And uh, it's interesting because um, in my studies, I get a wide, in my studies, I get a, I get a wide variety of different shit to do. And just the circumstances of my studies, like as, as the program has changed over the last couple of years, I've had to kind of find new approaches and find niches to fit into. And that ultimately led me out of classical because the school that I'm in has a very strong, um, the jazz program is a lot stronger than the classic, is a lot stronger than the classical program, if I dare to say. Though, I guess that could be said specifically for strings, but um, I would, I basically had to like try to find new approaches, try to find the people that I wanted to work with, find the people that I wanted to meet and just meet them. I mean, Jason and I met in like a Baroque, a Baroque classical ensemble like that's that's where Jason and I met like and like Jason was kind of a fish out of water in that situation right because like you know we were all these like classical musicians all fluent in reading music <laughs> and this this guy this guy comes in with like a mandolin and I'm like tuning my cello for the I'm tuning my cello in front of him and he's like hey man that sounds really that sounds really good man like hey. <laughs> voice that this band gives you Jason <laughs> I know I don't know they, they say I talk like that man, your cello sounds so good man like uh, you want to go, go to the studio like, what is that tuned to like perfect forest or something? Was that tuned to face? <laughs> <laughs> no, like, yeah. So that's how bank. that's how Nathaniel and I met. We met at a yeah, I mean I met I met um like I said, I'm so lucky to meet all of you guys through schooling and all that stuff. Threw my money at the universities and I got to meet you guys and it was all worth it. You know, uh -huh. I mean um Nathaniel and I, Rodrigo, we all kind of collaborated then, although Rodrigo had me work on a his senior recital in a tango and I played this tune by Carlos Gardel that he arranged and I was just like, Oh my God. Like my world was shook. Tango music was like, it's in man. This is the cool shit. <laughs> you know? So that was uh, amazing. I'm forgetting what we were talking about. No, it's, I was talking about being a musician in the current day climate, like work life balance. What's that's like. What so I would love, I mean, I know Thomas and Melissa are kind of not as, I'm phrasing, not as active um, just because the the remote, like where Thomas is remote and then Melissa, like you're on a few songs. So I was curious, like what, 
away from the band and like joining the band, what's your guys' work-life balance been like for you? And how do you kind of like handle that on a day-to-day basis? I can start with Thomas Um, first, sorry. Yeah, start with Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, sure. Um, Yeah, so no, it's it's, uh, mostly work. Um, that's, that's kind of the reality, at least at the moment. I mean, it's very seasonal. Like I, it's right now becoming mostly work and, and from like November to March, it's mostly not work. So that's just kind of how it is every year. I, I do mostly live stuff. Like I, I lead and play with the band circus number nine. Um, and we've been around since 2016 and that's, that's kind of the main thing, not time wise right now. You know, it's, it's not taking up the majority of my time, but it's it's the majority of at least my efforts, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then other than that, I've got I've got some solo stuff that's that's out and coming out and putting a little bit of steam behind that and then just working with other folks. Um, like I, I was out with two different bands last week and I, I got to go out this weekend with a third band and just doing stuff like that. I teach I teach a bit, but um which is great. And it's a good, um, weekday thing. Um, but I think my general thing is I like to just make music with lots of people. Yeah. I love it. And Melissa. Oh, well for me, um, I am actually starting to teach again because I kind of took a little bit of a mental break there for a moment. Cause I was, I was going crazy <laughs> or more like my blood pressure was. <laughs> Stress will do that to you. Um, but uh, yes, uh, teaching definitely during the week and a lot of gigs on weekends. Um, I'm in a couple different bands, uh, salsa bands. Um, and then of course, getting to work with Jason, we do a lot of duo stuff, so that's cool. Um, and that's kind of right now where I'm at. I'm a mom also and a wife. I'm like, a wife. <laughs> You got a, um, you got a whole ass family. Yeah, I got a whole ass family. <laughs> and like nine different pets that need me. So <laughs> especially my very, he's not here right now. I put him away. Um, but if you guys heard any kind of squawking, I have a parrot. Or a cockatoo named Tito after Tito Puente. Tito Puente. Um, yeah. Tito so Puente. Like, oh my God. All my pets have musical names. We have uh, Misty after Misty the song. And we have Azúcar, my cat, after Azúcar. Yeah! Let me see if I can play that melody. Which one? Misty. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's okay. (laughs) Yep, that's it. And then we have have Quincy. He's a, I named him after Quincy Jones. Um, And who else do we have? We have Neddy Bear, but that's my husband's dog. So he... He, he named them, so he didn't give them a, a cooler name. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, I definitely was like literally sleeping like four hours a night um, for like six or seven years when I went back to school and all that. So that was really exhausting. So when the pandemic hit, I said, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to like just live life and just relax for a little yeah. while. And, you know, and, and it, it was a much needed break, but I'm, I'm really glad to, um, to be recharged and, and be back and, and be doing what I love. And, and that's music and 
And yeah, and I think that's like really what, to kind of go back to one of your previous questions, I think that's really what, what keeps us together or like keeps us working with each other is just our love of music and not putting ourselves first, but putting the music first, putting our egos aside, knowing that, you know, we want to just do our best. You know how they say, don't let, don't die with all that music inside of you. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. I definitely don't want to do that. So I think we all have like this huge level of respect and integrity when it comes to our our musicianship and our love for it so I think that's what really kind of keeps us going and Thomas looks like he needs a another cup of coffee <laughs> <laughs> I know trust what we're, we're almost oh, there we're I promise I promise I was like if Thomas falls asleep I am not offended if anything I'm apo- I'm apologetic <laughs> all right well um now we're actually now we're at the closing parts here on today's episode don't cast and drive so i'll have jason lead this but what's next what is next for the new acoustic collective yeah so um shameless plug time (laughs) (laughs) we have um Okay. Uh, we have a new we have a new single dogs cha-cha coming out to you everybody this friday april 1st it's not a joke it's not april it is april fool's day right but it's not a joke um so dogs cha-cha comes out on april 1st um and you know i also have been putting together kind of just a it's funny to stay busy which i already do enough of i think but just to drive myself more up the wall, I was like, man, I'm going to put out a jazz record kind of right near the NAC record. So I got a, I have a single coming out Friday. It's called Wheeler's Waltz that features the uh, jazz maestro John Stoll um, towards my new record that comes out in May. Um, but as far as uh, NAC stuff, we have that coming out on Friday and we have Black Orpheus coming out early May and can't wait to release that. Everyone's going to hear Melissa and Thomas, our special guests, and all these amazing musicians on this um, interview. And um, and then we're playing a show at the Gamble Garden on Friday, April 29th. Uh, it's our first NA... Sorry? Love from today. Um, oh, is it really? Exactly a month from today. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So a month from today. Thanks, Nathaniel. Um, and uh, we're playing 6.30 to 8, and we'll be featuring Melissa. Uh, I God, I would love to feature Thomas, but you know, it probably doesn't pay enough, man. So do your work. And... Well, this guy can able to zoom him in just through Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> Put the phone against the microphone. You'll be fine. Rent a Chrysler minivan and make it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> 10-hour driving days. So we'll be playing at the Gamble Garden on Friday, April 29th at 6.30. Tickets are $35. Uh, you can check it out at thegamblegarden.org, I think, or something like that. Um, and we'll be featuring Melissa and a wonderful mandolinist that we're looking forward to working with as well, Mike Mullins, uh, who's nice. from Southern California. So that should be fun. Um, and then uh, as far as the rest of the releases and stuff, kind of to be determined, we may have one other single coming out. And uh, booking more shows as the summer months approach. And We're also going to be hitting the studio again. Oh, yeah, that's right. Nathaniel, you want to talk about that real quick? Oh, yeah, we're going to be hitting the studio. We're going to be recording a few tunes, including one that I wrote. So I'm invested. But um, that's going to be fun. 
Yeah, and that will also feature Mike Mullins uh, yep. on a tune that Nathaniel wrote. We'll try and cut one of my kind of bluegrass. I'm quoting. I'm putting quotations here. Bluegrass tunes, and then Tony's Devlin, Tony Rice's Devlin, and maybe. Uh, oh, we're gonna do Kenny Wheeler's Sly Eyes, hopefully. So we'll see. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. So Love we it. We got some stuff in the. We got some stuff in the works. We're not like idle. I mean, if it's a musician's life, right? Nothing's ever gonna be idle. <laughs> you can take a break, but you're not gonna be idle. Well, this is my spring break, so this is like the first week that I've had time to think in months. And like, wow, this is different. Yeah, breaks are great because your brain still works. <laughs> like, it's it's great. Your brain works, you find more ideas, and then you move on forward. So, all right, so real quick, I would love for everyone to quickly drop their social medias, uh, where to find them, and also kind of, I will also announce the new Acoustic Collective social medias at the end of it. So, Nathaniel, where can we find you? Um, you can find me in Facebook under my name. You can find me on Instagram under my name. Though on Instagram, it's Nathaniel.Groman, like that's, that's the handle. Right. And on Snapchat, you can find me, well, that's a different thing. But uh, focus on Facebook and Instagram for now. Those are like the professional ones. Uh, yeah. Perfect. Facebook, Nathaniel Groman, you'll see me. You'll see like, you'll see a colorful picture of me with a cello and then you'll know it's me. And then Instagram, same thing. Yeah. You can find me there. DM Perfect. Me, you heard him. Just Facebook, just Instagram. Thomas, where can we find you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, mostly on those two. Um, my Instagram is Thomas Andrew, my middle name, uh, Castle, which is C-A-S-S-E-L-L. Uh, and then on Facebook, um, my page is just Thomas Castle Music. Uh, but it should be obvious. You just search my name on either. Be the only one with the mandolin. <laughs> Perfect. It's very relative when we say our social media is, oh, I'm the one with the instrument, trust. <laughs> All right, Rodrigo, where can we find you? I am on Facebook and Instagram. My Facebook should be under my name, Victor Rodrigo Ruiz. And my Instagram is going to be rod.ruiz510. No, it's kind of complicated and it doesn't have something fancy like Thomas says, where I just have uh, Rodrigo Ruiz music at the end of it. I do have when I don't use it. Um, <laughs> as for my address, if you want to find me, I would not give out that detail. Um, the my social security number <laughs> What's your mom's maiden name? Tell <laughs> her your first car. <laughs> right. <laughs> Melissa, where um, can we find you? <laughs> Um, you guys can find me on Facebook, Melissa Garay, or Instagram, the Medi Garay, um, or you can go to my website, melissagaray.com. I'm also on all social, on all, what is it? Uh, not social media platforms. Whoa. Our music, or our music. Oh, music. music streaming <laughs> platforms. Yes, music. you can find us all there. Um, and, and all that information is also on my website, melissagaray.com. Perfect. Yeah. And last but not least, drumroll, please. Mr. Jason Kaiser. Sorry, Felix. <laughs> um, yeah, so you can find me uh, on the dark web. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Gruns.com. Just kidding. Um, so you can find me at uh, Jason Kaiser Music on Facebook. Uh, I'm the one guy with the plastic guitar, as some people like to call it. Um, I kind of really like my drum roll. <laughs> and then um, Instagram 
uh, at Jason Kaiser. Kaiser like the hospital, but with an E. K-E-I-S-E-R. Music. And uh, you can find um, the uh, uh, what I do uh, when I'm not doing NAC stuff. Uh, just uh, JasonKaiserMusic.com. And then um, the New Acoustic Collective is part of my website right now. We are going to build a regular website outside of my website soon, but haven't had the time um so you can find us through my website and then our handles are at new acoustic collective um, on instagram and the new acoustic collective on facebook yeah wonderful thank you for having us Veronica. yeah thanks for being here everyone like and thank you for being here so late in the evening i had fun um i also love you know, we're like interviewing this group just because this is a form of music that I'm the least familiar with. So I'm really glad that I have the session to not only discuss, but learn. So I really appreciate the time for you guys to educate me and to have something out there about this. This is wonderful experience for you all. Um, Yes, so um, ending notes. Yes, ending notes. Uh, Thanks for those who are listening. You are now listening to Don't Cast and Drive. I'm your host, Sometimes V. You can find this recording on SoundCloud, also underneath the channel Lady Blurds Podcast, since Don't Cast and Drive and Lady Blurds are now fused together. And so if you're going to find this recording on on the RSS feed, just look up Lady Blurds. It will be there. Um, You can follow Lady Blurds Pod on Instagram as well as Facebook. And if you have any ideas or you want to submit someone that you want me to interview for the Don't Cast and Drive podcast, you can email me at don'tcastndrive, don'tcastn, the letter, drive, at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and I hope you guys have a wonderful evening. Bye.